Hello and welcome to Background Briefing, available 24-7 at backgroundbriefing.org. I'm Ian Masters, and today we'll examine a number of stories and issues in the news. We'll begin with Trump's successful scuttling of the bipartisan immigration bill with help from his toady, Speaker Mike Johnson, who was publicly humiliated in the House yesterday with his failure to pass the vote on impeaching the head of the Department of Homeland Security, then failing to pass a vote for aid to Israel, which is almost sacrilegious for the self-righteous Christian, given the Christian right's devotion to Israel. Joining us is Justin Higgins, who has worked as an immigration policy advisor to a Tea Party, now House Freedom Caucus member of Congress, and worked on Trump's 2016 campaign at the RNC, all before becoming a Democrat and an appointed official for the Democratic governor of Puerto Rico. He now hosts the Politics Plus Media 101 podcast, and we'll discuss how the national interest is no longer a consideration in Trump's GOP. Then, with Trump killing aid to Ukraine thanks to the MAGA Republicans in the House and Senate, we will speak with Michael Weiss, editor at The Insider, a Russian-focused independent media outlet who has reported on international affairs for over 10 years with a focus on the Middle East and Russia. He has interviewed ISIS operatives and Russian spies, published and curated a series of still-classified KGB training manuals, reported from rebel-held Syria and war-torn Ukraine, broken major stories about financial corruption, and exposed the Russian intelligence services' ongoing subversion efforts in the United States and Europe. He's the co-host of the Foreign Office podcast at New Lines magazine, as well as the author of The Menace of Unreality, How Russia Weaponizes Information, Culture and Money, and co-author of the New York Times bestseller ISIS, Inside the Army of Terror. He joins us to discuss the extent to which we have Americans in high places, from Trump to Tucker Carlson working for Putin, who are at worst traitors or at best useful idiots. And before we begin, we are asking you to help keep Background Briefing completely independent, commercial-free and corporate-free without paywalls or constant fundraising, as we keep providing you with a daily briefing which is free to the public and accessible to all those who are not in a position to contribute. You can make a tax-deductible donation to our nonprofit foundation, the Public Truth Media Foundation, at publictruthmedia.org or at backgroundbriefing.org slash donate. And thank you for keeping us on the air and online with this critical 2024 election year ahead in which the fate and future of American democracy itself will be decided. We are in a fight between those who no longer believe in democracy and those who have to defend it or see it die. We barely survived a coup attempt on January the 6th, and like Hitler, Trump is telling us what he plans to do. On day one, he will invoke the Insurrection Act and round up his enemies. So help us continue to seek out facts and information to awaken America's silent majority before democracy is trumped by fascism. And joining us now is Justin Higgins, who has worked as an immigration policy advisor to a Tea Party, now House Freedom Caucus member of Congress, and worked on Trump's 2016 campaign at the RNC, all before becoming a Democrat and an appointed official for the Democratic governor of Puerto Rico. He now hosts the Politics Plus Media 101 podcast. Welcome to Background Briefing, Justin Higgins. Ian, thank you for having me. Well, thanks for joining us, Justin, and I have a lot of questions for you as a former Republican, you know, in terms of what's happening with the GOP. I mean, it's in so many fronts, it's behaving in ways that indicate that there's no concept of the national interest anymore, even, you know, treasonous in in many ways by you've got the Russian propaganda ministries and, and the Chinese propaganda ministries going full bore, encouraging Texas to secede. You've got 24 Republican governors supporting Governor Abbott's defiance of the federal government which has led to this notion of Texit, an exit of Texas, like Brexit uh, in the UK. So there's a lot to talk about, but let, let's start with the the headlines today. One is that Nikki Haley got sort of humiliated in the Republican caucus primary in Nevada. So there's no question that Trump's got the whole thing sewn up in terms of the nomination as the next Republican candidate for president. But... The humiliation that happened uh, to Mike Johnson on the House yesterday, I think we could start out with that. 
What do you make of it? Well, I think there's a, a bunch of different things to make of it, but primarily it is two things for me. It represents the pinnacle or the moment, the tipping point, so to speak, where everybody can realize that the House Freedom Caucus movement of 2015, which was born out of the Tea Party movement, 2010, 2012, has been successful in hollowing out the GOP establishment in Congress. So the result is being left with people who are incapable to do the job of Speaker of the House of Representatives, like Speaker Johnson, and no institutional knowledge. So that results in a purely partisan attempt to legislate so that they can message to their base, something that every Speaker of the House does all the time. Uh, HR2, a border wall that the GOP just passed, is an example of that. Uh, they cannot pass a fundamental messaging bill that was televised nationally. And the result is a massive failure and embarrassment for the GOP, all due to Trump, the Tea Party, the House Freedom Caucus movement, essentially controlling things now. But isn't Trump pulling the strings? Yes, yes. And I, I think it's pretty clear that this movement of that led to Speaker Johnson becoming Speaker is the Tea Party movement that evolved into the Freedom Caucus that evolved into Trump. So it's all one long continuum with twists and turns throughout. And because Speaker Ryan, Speaker Boehner were ultimately thrown off by the House Freedom Caucus, because a lot of members who had been chairman and chairwoman of committees for decades have decided to retire, there are now no serious voices in the House GOP to stand up to Trump. So Mike Johnson, as opposed to trying to legislate and govern for the country, is left with trying to legislate and govern for Trump because he has no spine and no mental acuity, uh, not enough intelligence, not enough experience negotiating to deftly maneuver a very small minority in the House. Well, let's talk about then what happened, uh, not so much behind the scenes, because it was pretty obvious when they took the vote to impeach Mayorkas yesterday. First of all, McClintock out here in California and Ken Buck in Colorado had both told Johnson that they were going to vote against the impeachment of Mayorkas. And the one guy, Mike Gallagher from Wisconsin, uh, he sort of kept it to himself. Previously, they leaned on Representative Joyce of Ohio and Pat McHenry of North Carolina and got them to basically stop being coy and say, yeah, we'll vote to impeach. So what they got surprised by was Mike Gallagher, right? So they, the votes are coming in, they're counting them, and now they're suddenly tied at 215 to 215. And then in comes this Democrat, Al Green, who's been in hospital, he he comes in his literally in in his hospital garb, in a wheelchair, and votes, of course, against the impeachment, and that is a massive humiliation. Now, one of the Republicans from Utah, he uh, switched his votes so that they can open up for another vote. So let's start with that. Is Mike Johnson after this humiliation? Is he going to try and vote again and somehow? bring in Steve Scalise from his hospital bed? Yes. Yeah, so to answer that question very short and succinct, barring any unforeseen health issues, I think they're 100% going to bring up impeachment again, and it will pass. So for me, the big takeaway was what we initially touched on. And more specifically, just to tweak it, uh, Congressman Gallagher from Wisconsin, who generally is considered a serious person. He's uh, heading up the um, committee focused on China. It's a bipartisan committee stacked with Republicans and Democrats doing allegedly uh, serious work by all reports. And he had been saying for a month to the whip count, which is Mike Johnson, Speaker Mike Johnson's lieutenants, who he tasks to go count who was going to vote which way, Gallagher had been saying for a month that he was going to vote no. So 
this underscores the incompetence that I levied against Speaker Johnson and his team because they could only lose two votes if all the Democrats showed up. They knew they did not have three votes and Steve Scalise there. So what they were doing was they were inherently trusting the Democrats to do their job for them, which is to count votes. They heard rumors that Congressman Al Green was not going to be there. So based on those rumors and maybe backdoor conversations with Democrats, they based their entire strategy off trusting the word of the opposition party, which you don't do if you are effective in this job. And former Speaker Nancy Pelosi today was out there maligning Speaker Johnson, laughing at him, saying, you always go to the floor to vote on a bill and have a couple votes in your pocket. You never listen and trust the word of the other party when it's a pure partisan vote. Uh, so this is mind boggling. It's stunning. Ian, it is a historical embarrassment. While voters may forget this, there has only been six attempts to impeach a cabinet secretary in the history of the United States, and only one of them failed in front of the House of Representatives. That was yesterday with Secretary Mayorkas. So if you say, though, Justin, that they're going to come back to the well again and vote again, this time hauling Skeeves Scalise out of his hospital bed. He's getting treated for cancer. If he can show up, they're going to do it again, right? So it's pretty clear they haven't learned their lesson, right? Well, I mean, they kind of have to do it again now because Mm -hmm. if they don't do it again, their base is going to go apoplectic. Uh, If they don't go do it again, they they won't, as we see now, have the votes to uh, impeach Biden. So they need to move some type of impeachment forward because they've been promising this to their base for three years. Uh, so they're, they're going to try again and barring a car crash or a horrible health incident on either side, they will pass this impeachment. So this then is really a rehearsal to impeach Biden. And that's what minority leader Jeffrey said yesterday in the debate. This is all about impeaching Biden, right? That's how you see it? I, I, I see it as, as too, well, respectfully, I disagree with the speaker. I, I think that they're going to try and impeach Biden. I think that there are going to be, uh, there's going to be more members of the Republican Party that resist that. Personally, what I see here is trying to tie Biden and through Secretary Mayorkas to the failed border issue. The, the crisis at the border. Through holding two impeachment hearings in January, they, in their own minds, elevated this issue uh, with some national media attention, some headlines, and then this impeachment vote, uh, and then whatever happens in the Senate was going to show that the United States House of Representatives, the Republicans in the House, are saying this is Biden's fault, and he's doing such a terrible job, he's having his staff do illegal things. And in this world, if there is that impeachment, you create a playing field where you're messaging the Democrats. It's Biden saying we didn't do anything wrong. The Republicans are saying that border is their issue. Look at Secretary Mayorkas. This is not acceptable. And unfortunately for Democrats, Republicans are plus 30 on immigration. So the general population in America trust Republicans 30% more on immigration than they do Democrats. So it's a he said, she said, with impeachment as their fake type of proof uh, on an issue that the American public just quite frankly trusts Republicans over Democrats on. Well, it's pretty clear again that Trump's pulling the strings on the, the border issue because he tanked the Senate deal and all along Mike Johnson has appears to be taking his orders from Trump, has been saying that, you know, it's dead on arrival in the House. And, of course, Mike Johnson also recently had to say that I'm calling the shots, uh, which uh, nobody seems to believe. I certainly don't believe <laughs> Trump is clearly calling the shots. So is there anything that's coming out of this debacle in the Senate where you had literally a Republican-led effort by uh, a Republican senator, along with Democrats, 
to come up with a bipartisan deal. They came up with a deal which, you know, is exactly what the Republicans have been asking for for the longest time, and Trump told them not to vote on it, and today that it's crashing and burning. Schumer says he's got Plan B, which is to put up another bill that's just money alone for Ukraine and Israel. By the way, we forgot to mention that after the collapse of the Mayorkas impeachment, they took a vote on Speaker Johnson's bill to give money to Israel, and that failed. So, my God, it's not looking good, right? Could, could you imagine, Ian, telling somebody that a Republican couldn't get security aid for Israel passed through the Republican-controlled House even a year ago? Right. I mean, it, it is shocking. But not to make light of this and not to use hyperbole, I do think the border issue is the most um, uh, dread I have felt, depressed, fear for the country since the insurrection on January 6th and also the acquittal of the impeachment trial in the Senate of Trump the second time. Uh, the reason is because of how you started off this show, Ian. You are 100% right. There is no national interest governing the political movements of House and now Senate Republicans because the border bill shows us this. They are now focused on purely partisan uh, electoral politics over trying to improve the lives of Americans. Now, why am I so despondent about a border bill? And I, I do ultimately think there could be some positive uh, outcome with aid for Israel, Taiwan, Ukraine, potentially, but let's put that aside. I am so depressed because of a simple fact. For three or four decades, there has been a table of negotiation on immigration which is the Republicans demanding border security, the Democrats on the other side saying, okay, we'll give you border security if you give us citizenship, amnesty, whatever you want to call it, but a pathway for folks that are here to become full members of our society, citizens. That has usually been a trade where things get bogged down, progressives, and then uh, the House Freedom Caucus folks basically team up to kill the bill. This negotiation that we are talking about was almost entirely Republican priorities. There was no Democrats are going to get amnesty, so they're going to give away border security. It was Democrats are going to give away border security and Republicans are going to get nearly everything they want. So this was a very novel thing. When I was advising on immigration policy, this would be our dream. So to see President Trump advocate against this bill, to see Speaker Johnson then blindly and willingly just tank this bill. Then the Senate, who Mitch McConnell tapped Senator James Lankford to negotiate this piece of legislation, after the House comes out and Trump comes out against it, Senator McConnell acts to kill this bill. Why am I so depressed that Republicans are playing politics? Why do I believe that this needs to be underlined? Because they're not going to have a better chance to pass conservative immigration in, I don't know, years, maybe decades. This this is truly a unique opportunity, and it shows that not only do they not care about policy, uh, but the House, which we knew was in Trump's pocket, uh, is one thing. But with Mitch McConnell and senators who pride themselves on being serious, putting America first, trying to improve the lives of the citizens through legislation, for them to completely do a 180 on their stated priorities and fold to Trump, means that if there is a second Trump term, there are going to be no guardrails from the legislative branch. That is no oversight, no consequences. They're not going to impeach him. They're not going to convict him. So then it gets extremely scary when you look at Trump and how despotic he tends to be. So Trump is obviously all about himself. He talks about America first, but it's always been Trump first. So we know what his motives are. He wants to demagogue the border because he thinks it's going to help elect him. But the Republicans have decided to go along with it. Is that what McConnell's decided, that it's that it's better to demagogue uh, and use this as a political issue than solve a serious problem? Because, I mean, the question then arises, uh, Justin, is it going to work? Will Biden be able to turn the tables on them and point out that these people aren't serious? You know, you wanted border security, we gave you border security, and then you turned it down. So it's pretty transparent that they want 
to demagogue this issue rather than solve the problem. But are the American people going to figure that out? It should be obvious, but I, I'm not, I don't have a lot of confidence because I think we're rapidly becoming an idiocracy. To answer your question, Ian, Mitch McConnell is going along with it because he sees no viable path for border security. That is pretty much done because the House of Representatives is not going to take it up. There's not going to be will for parliamentary procedures uh, like a discharge petition. There's not enough moderate Republicans to advance this initiative. So he's killing this initiative to eventually get aid to Taiwan, Israel, and Ukraine through. I think it's very likely, I would guess, that that aid does get through in a separate supplemental. So that's the good news with the border deal feeling. The bad news for us is most voters work 40 hours a week. They have families. They, quite frankly, don't care about politics. They don't want to listen to politics. All that they hear about politicians is how corrupt they are. Uh, so for the vast amount of voters, when you have an issue where it's he said, she said, where on that issue, it's Republicans are trusted plus 30 percent over Democrats, it is going to be exceptionally hard to explain to voters. Again, they don't really care about government. Most of these voters it is going to be extremely hard to explain parliamentary procedure to get them to trust what they are hearing is accurate, and then to 100% blame the Democrats. Because in messaging, there's an old adage, if you're explaining, you're losing. So to be quite frank, I see this as an issue where Democrats can embarrass Speaker Johnson, can embarrass Trump inside the beltway, uh, maybe in certain congressional districts, they can play opposition research clips from members of Congress, like, for example, uh, Texas Congressman Dan Crenshaw, he's been very vocal about it. He's been attacking his own party. Senator James Lankford, when I was an immigration analyst in the House, he was in the House of Representatives. He was considered one of the most conservative members of the House back in 2014. Congressman Frank Lucas, who was the chairman of the Agriculture Committee at the time, was thinking about running for a Senate seat in Oklahoma against James Lankford. He told uh, myself and a group of uh, lobbyists for large agribusiness companies at a fundraiser that he is he decided to pull his name out of the ring because he couldn't envision beating James Lankford in the political environment we were in because James Lankford was, quote unquote, to the right of Attila the Hun. Attila the Hun, murderous dictator, right? So even back then, Langford was considered to be one of these insane MAGA types that would sink the bill. Um, so that is all to say that this is uncharted territory. Truth does not matter. Uh, despite having conservatives like Dan Crenshaw, Langford, the Border Patrol Union who hate Biden, endorse Trump, all support this legislation. It, it doesn't matter. It's not going to impact MAGA base voters. It's not going to impact uh, Democrat base voters. Uh, and I find it difficult to see it moving the needle. And the last thing I'll add here is the reason why it's tough to move the needle on this nationally and have a broad message that appeals to Democrats is most sane people want this legislation. If you're not on the extreme of either party, you want this legislation. The two factions that oppose it are MAGA Republicans and progressives. Progressives oppose it because it streamlines the asylum process. It gives the power to shut down the border and it actually just funds border agents. It creates 10,000 new jobs for ICE and CBP. And uh, the squad, some members of the squad are legitimately against funding uh, border agents. Uh, you know, there was the whole defund ICE movement. Um, so functionally, that's a problem. And the fact that the voices opposing this bill on the left, the Congressional Progressive Caucus, are also starting to splinter from the Biden coalition over Hamas, for example, Israel, mm -hmm. Palestine, those issues, it prevents Biden from being able to tailor a national message of attacking the Republicans on the border bill because his own base will revolt. So it's a very nuanced situation where unfortunately one party is wrong, one party is right, but it's hard to sell that message to the American voter without incurring a lot of risk on your own.
so let me just uh, finish up here, though, because I wanted to touch on on Russia. We know that Trump has a relationship with Putin. We know it's very murky. It's never been clear, but but he's all, always praising him and always seems to be carrying his water. And there's no question in the, that Trump is trying his best to stop aid getting to Ukraine, and that's working because it's all tied in with this immigration bill. The, the leading proponent of cutting aid to uh, Ukraine is Marjorie Taylor Greene in the House. She's also the person who brought this Mayorkas impeachment case forward. So the idea of that somebody of that ilk running our foreign policy is terrifying, and we don't know why. So I can't help feeling that long as that Trump is both the puppet master on killing the border deal, but he's also the puppet master for whatever reasons, which I think are to do with the possibility that Putin owns him. Uh, he's pulling the, uh, the plug on Ukraine uh, money. You say it's going to pass in the supplemental that uh, Mitch McConnell's going to put together. I'm holding my breath. I'm an eternal optimist, Ian. And on, on this one, I, I hope I'm not wrong. Uh, but everything you said, I mean, Trump holding up Ukraine aid, Trump holding up the border bill. And if Trump's holding up Ukraine aid, he's also responsible for holding up Israeli aid and aid to Taiwan. I think that that is all accurate. I think the, the one thing that we have here is we got to go back to why we're doing this immigration bill. The only reason why we're doing this immigration bill is four months ago, the Republicans demanded that any type of Israel-Ukraine aid must be considered with strengthened border security. So those were the preconditions set. Uh, now that the Democrats have gone through that process in good faith, uh, the reports out of the Senate today are that Senator Schumer is going to strip out the border aid leave in provisions to address the overflow of fentanyl into the United States, leave in provisions to address um, Israel, Ukraine, and Taiwan aid, and basically send that bill, you know, get it through the Senate and then send it over to the House. Why am I so confident? I am so confident uh, because I've had conversations with Don, Congressman Don Bacon, for example, who says that this is his first issue is to pass – Ukraine aid. So even if it, so, let's just say hypothetically, this aid were to get through the Senate, which I think it has a chance of getting 70, 80 votes, maybe, and then gets sent over to the House. I do think that there are a handful of Republicans, three to five, that would potentially get on a discharge petition. But even more so, Ian, why I say it's near 99 percent Ukraine aid passes and folks that are being alarmist just maybe aren't familiar with how Congress works, is that Israel aid is imperative. It is paramount. It is a top priority for Speaker Johnson and a lot of different evangelicals throughout this country. So the type of lawmakers that vote no on everything, they have a base of voters who are demanding aid to Israel for a variety of reasons, some being religion. So that is all to say, if Biden and Schumer and Jeffries all stick strong on coupling Israeli aid to Ukraine aid to Taiwan aid, it's ultimately going to get through even over the objections of President Trump. So I do think that that is a silver lining of this border bill failing. Well, Justin Higgins, I thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you very much, Ian. And we've been speaking with Justin Higgins, who has worked as an immigration policy advisor to a Tea Party Now House Freedom Caucus member of Congress and worked on Trump's 2016 campaign at the RNC, all before becoming a Democrat and an appointed official for the Democratic governor of Puerto Rico. And he hosts the Politics Plus Media 101 podcast. We're going to get a restation break and back looking at how Trump is killing aid to Ukraine thanks to MAGA Republicans in the House and Senate and the extent to which we have Americans in high places from Trump to Tucker Carlson working for Putin who are at worst traitors or at best useful idiots. From Russia with love I fly to you Much wiser since my goodbye to you I've traveled the world 
Welcome back. I'm Ian Masters, and this is Background Briefing, available 24-7 at backgroundbriefing.org. And joining us now is Michael Weiss, the editor at The Insider, a Russian-focused independent media outlet who has reported on international affairs for over 10 years with a focus on the Middle East and Russia. He has interviewed ISIS operatives and Russian spies, published and curated a series of still-classified KGB training manuals, reported from rebel-held Syria and war-torn Ukraine, broken major stories about financial corruption, and exposed the Russian intelligence service's ongoing subversion efforts in the United States and Europe. And he's the co-host of the Foreign Office podcast at New Lines magazine, as well as the author of The Menace of Unreality, How Russia Weaponizes Information, Culture and Money, and the co-author of the New York Times bestseller, ISIS, Inside the Army of Terror. Welcome to Background Briefing, Michael Weiss. Nice to be with you again, Ian. Well, thanks for joining us. And we know, of course, that Trump has been pulling the strings behind the scenes to scuttle the bipartisan bill on immigration, which is tied to funds for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. So how much do you think, now that the immigration bill is dead on arrival, how much do you think Trump is pulling the strings in terms of cutting aid to Ukraine? Because we've got the second anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine on February the 24th. That's less than two weeks away. And uh, now you've got Tucker Carlson acting as a kind of propagandist for Putin at this critical moment when uh, aid to Ukraine is uh, is going to be tabled in a separate bill that McConnell's putting together with, with Schumer. I can't help feeling that we've got some traitors in the midst here. Yeah, so about two days ago, I, I got frantic phone calls from three or four um, Republican congressional staffers who confidentially, I mean, were, were telling me that their party, not everyone, but um, certainly the MAGA caucus and uh, Speaker Johnson were the, the, the standalone bill, which failed uh, yesterday, but which was at the time just being introduced to cleave security assistance for Israel from border policy stuff, uh, security assistance for Ukraine. Uh, they described it as a poison pill, um, which was meant to force the Democrats to swallow it for fear of losing the support of um, pro-Israel groups such as AIPAC and also being branded anti-Israel, if not pro-Hamas, by the GOP. Uh, they wanted the Democrats to swallow it, and they wanted this bill to pass, not because they were particularly concerned about supporting Israel, um, because that, that seems to have bipartisan consensus, but because they wanted this to be the definitive end of uh, security assistance for Ukraine. So, so this bill was designed um, as a way to, to defund Ukraine. And the, the, these staffers were telling me that Republican congressmen were, were boasting of the fact openly. They, they were patting themselves on the back. They thought that they had uh, painted the Democrats into a corner. Then, of course, the whole thing imploded because Joe Biden tweeted he would veto this bill if it came across his desk. And uh, Johnson had, I wouldn't say just egg on his face, but an entire omelet. Um, But look, I I think what this shows, apart from the fact that there are pro-Ukrainian and internationalist Republicans still in our midst, thankfully, who are willing to call reporters and essentially tell tales against their own party because they're so distraught about the direction things are headed. Um, what this shows is that not only does Donald Trump still command uh, a, a I, I wouldn't say the entirety of, of Congress, um, but certainly the, the most uh, vocal and influential vanguard, which is wedded to, I don't even call it an ideology. I mean, it's, it's sort of a personality cult um, embodied by himself. And now, you know, without getting into what is now approaching almost a decade of analysis as to what Trump's relationship with the Russian government uh, was, either financially or politically or whatever, um, he does seem to have uh, a, a particular fondness for advancing the national interests of countries other than his own. Um, I think he is um, inveterately uh, angry about the existence of Ukraine as it related to his presidency. Recall his first impeachment was over essentially a kind of blackmailing 
of President Zelensky. Um, I don't think he wants this country to succeed. I think he wants Ukraine to forfeit as much territory as, as it can. I mean, his line, of course, is I could get a deal done in 24 hours. President Zelensky's called his bluff and said, you're welcome to come to Kiev anytime you like and show us this plan of, of wrapping up this devastating two-year-long war in, in the space of a day. He wants to withdraw from NATO, which he's long portrayed as a racket. Um, you know, he believes that Europe is sort of this enormous continental welfare queen and that the United States is sustaining this alliance, even though the only time Article 5, which was ever invoked, was after 9-11. And most NATO countries, including non-NATO countries such as Ukraine, sent troops to Afghanistan to fight a war on America's behalf. So it's actually the reverse. They've done more for us than we've ever done for them. Anyway, all these things, you know, in aggregate show that there is a real rot at the heart of the Republican Party right now. And I think people who don't go along with this, who still maintain that Reaganite, McCainite, uh, transatlanticist bent, are cowed uh, and terrified. And, and, you know, you don't need to take my word for this. The, the biography um, written by McKay Cop. Coppins, uh, Hop, I'm sorry, I forget his surname, but the Atlantic writer uh, of uh, Mitt Romney basically states this, uh, that Romney's gone around saying, look, you know, every time I query my colleagues, my now former colleagues, why are you caving uh, to Trump? They say, well, yeah, we hate him. We can't stand him. But, you know, we also don't want to lose our seat. And he has the power to, to take it away from us. So this is this is the definition of a personality cult. Um and I, where things are headed, I, I don't know. I think your previous guest probably has a better handle on that than I. Well, but what's extraordinary, Michael, is that we know that Marjorie Taylor Greene has been the driving force behind the impeachment of yeah. Mayorkas, which just failed. But they're going to come back again right. and, and probably impeach him once they pull uh, Steve Scalise from his sick bed where he's being tra- treated for cancer. So, but she's also driving the defunding of of Ukraine, and I, for the life of me, don't understand. I mean, obviously she's not exactly a very bright bulb, but do you understand why she and her other Republican colleagues, the ones that you just mentioned, uh, that are celebrating uh, the bill that failed uh, to defund Ukraine? Why? Why? I don't understand it. What is it? Because Bill Burns, a very respected American diplomat, is now the head of the CIA says that if you pull the funds on Ukraine, it's going to be one of the greatest historical mistakes in history. Correct. It is. And already Ukrainians are dying at the front. Uh, They're running out of ammunition. They're running low on air defense uh, missiles, which, I mean, just today there was a massive bombardment uh, across the country by Russia, drone strikes, rocket attacks. I mean, I would add to to, to, uh, what you just said about Marjorie Taylor Greene. One of the staffers last night, in fact, Um, told me that, uh, believe it or not, certain MAGA senators who don't command much respect or influence in their own chamber uh, wield a behind-the-scenes disproportionate amount of influence in the House. And he named um, Senator Hawley and uh, J.D. Vance as two people who were kind of coaxing the MAGA caucus and in the house along. But I mean, you know, here's the thing, Ian, I I wrote a piece a few weeks ago uh, with my colleague, James Rushton, because I think there's a big misconception of how Ukraine aid works. There's this idea um, peddled, and I know you want to talk about Tucker Carlson, but peddled not least by Tucker Carlson and and his surrogate, that we are sending all of this money, which is unaccounted for, to a foreign country, notoriously riven by corruption and graft, Um, and that it's essentially being sunk into this black hole in Eastern Europe. Um, That is not true. What is true is most of the money, the lion's share of the money that the United States has spent on Ukraine, has been invested in the United States. So essentially what we're doing is giving Ukraine our old, moldering, hand-me-down weapon systems, systems that would eventually be decommissioned or destroyed domestically, because they've expired if they're, you know, attack of missiles, for instance. We're giving them that stuff. And then the money we're spending is to manufacture newer kits, modernized, advanced rocket systems, um, you know, air defense platforms, tanks, you name it. So MAGA has long said or pretended that it cares about several things. Number one, 
spending money here at home instead of abroad, building jobs in America. Well, Ukrainian security assistance does that. The American Enterprise Institute, last I checked, not exactly a bastion of uh, progressive leftism, did a very good study showing exactly where this money is going and the number of factories scattered across, I think, three dozen cities in the United States uh, belonging to prominent weapons manufacturers from Lockheed Martin to Raytheon to BAE. It's creating jobs here, factory line jobs for American working class uh, people. Number two, they've long claimed that our military and, and here there is some legitimacy has been um it's been falling by the wayside. It's been uh, underinvested in, believe it or not, given the budget that we spend on defense, meaning, you know, we should be modernizing and revitalizing our own defense capability. Well, it's doing that for reasons already stated. Again, you know, if we send attackums to Ukraine, the next level or variant that will be produced, meaning um, uh, ballistic artillery rockets, it's called the prison missile. It's more powerful. It has longer range. And Lockheed is ready to ramp up production of these things. So it makes sense to get rid of the old and bring in the new for America's use. Number three, and this is what Trump bangs on about all the time. And I mentioned this earlier, you know, this this idea that our allies, not just in NATO, but in the European Union, are freeloaders. They don't they don't carry their weights. They don't pay their fair share. If you look at what has happened across Europe, and this is by no means uh, an ideal state and there's still a, a ways to go. But if you look at the progress that's been made since February 24th, 2022, Germany is spending a hell of a lot more on its own defense capability. Uh, its, its so-called Zeitenwende turning point has, has started to pay dividends. Now, of course, it's Germany, so they, the wheels turn slowly. But Germany's investment in Ukraine, I mean, keep in mind, as of March, April uh, 2022, you know, the Germans were still clucking about whether or not to send helmets to the Ukrainian soldiers, woolen blankets, sleeping bags. Now they're sending advanced air air defense platforms. They're sending leopard tanks. Um, There's a very heated debate at the moment whether they should send their cruise missile, which improves upon the Storm Shadow and the Scout, the UK French cruise missile system. It's called the Taurus. I mean, they've sent more kit than any other European country to Ukraine. France has just announced it's sending more cruise missiles to Ukraine. These cruise missiles, by the way, have been used to strike deep inside occupied Crimea, which was once seen as a no-go zone for the Ukrainian army and and seen as as way too escalatory. If if we were to help them uh, launch attacks there, they blew up the headquarters of the Black Sea Fleet in Sevastopol a few months ago using a storm shadow. All across the board, defense spending is up. More countries today are now reaching, if not have reached, the 2% of GDP spending on defense, which is considered the NATO guideline. You now have Finland as a member state in NATO, which is a huge accomplishment given what the Finnish defensive capability is and the fact that it shares a hundreds of miles long border with Russia. Sweden will be in NATO probably before Easter once Viktor Orban caves yet again to European pressure. I mean, everything that MAGA claims that it wants, it gets by helping Ukraine. And yet when presented with this policy, which I could add, even if they don't care about hollowing out our strategic adversary, rendering the Russian army 60 percent combat ineffective in the space of two years without a single American boot on the ground, uh, reversing the, the, the progress, the modernization efforts that, that Putin has placed in bringing his army back from complete decrepitude for probably years, if not decades, all of these things achieved. And MAGA says, well, we we can't have any of that, can we? So I think it goes to show that it's almost impossible to define this movement according to any kind of political principles or intellectual consistency. I think it's an impulse movement. And right now the impulse is, you know, do what our orange master tells us to do. And what he really wants is to deny the incumbent, his opponent in the general election, almost certainly to be, uh, you know, between Trump and Biden, to deny Biden any kind of legislative victory. I ask you, I mean, could you think of anything more cynical and petty than that? And meanwhile, again, this country, which is under occupation, fighting a war of conquest, a war that many scholars, uh, don't listen to me, but plenty of scholars of this subject have have classed a genocidal campaign, uh, where children have been abducted, sent to Russia, put up for adoption, 
basically they've they've had their entire lineage erased. Um, We're faffing about in Congress with these cockamamie schemes of impeaching bureaucrats and trying to decouple aid. I mean, we we look like a failed state. We look utterly and completely dysfunctional. And and it's embarrassing. And whether or not, you know, I'm actually cautiously optimistic this this aid package will get done, meaning Ukraine will be funded. But the time wasted and the weakness and and, and the the sort of the pathetic to and froing that, that we've already seen has demonstrated to the Russian side that the United States probably is not in it to win it. In other words, Putin's long game of waiting out the West is the correct strategy. It will only embolden him and, and give him new uh, momentum to, to keep carrying on the way he has. And of course, he's weighing in on the debate over Ukraine uh, with Tucker Carlson, who's uh, acting as his his yeah. surrogate. But you mentioned earlier J.D. Vance's influence over the House. He, of course, was literally put into the Senate by Peter Thiel, who happens to own Palantir, which is a huge contractor to the CIA. And his other pal is, of course, Elon Musk, the owner of the former Twitter, who has already demonstrated his affection for Putin by literally scuttling the Ukrainian military operation against Russia's Black Sea fleet. Interestingly enough, you know, J.D. Vance and, of all people, Tucker Carlson, have both been mentioned as possible vice presidents for Donald Trump. In fact, Trump himself uh, mentioned Tucker Carlson as a possible VP. So Uh what do you make of that? I mean, look, I don't pretend to know what's what's going on in Donald Trump's head. It's scary enough to see what what he's doing outside of his own body at the moment. But, um, you know, look, this, this whole spectacle, Tucker Carlson goes to Moscow and then, of course, I think baked into this publicity stunt was a knowledge of the inevitable reaction, which I, I have to confess I was part of. I mean, I, I was making some snide remarks on Twitter about this as well. But this is, you know, he, he follows in a long line of the generous term for this is useful idiot um, who th- there's a kind of uh, a characterological kind of profile. So I think the defining feature of Tucker Carlson is um, he, he has always wanted to be accepted by the establishment, um, and yet he has consistently failed. He had a variety of TV shows across multiple networks, most famously Crossfire on CNN. He had a show on MSNBC, which, I mean, to even say those words is kind of hilarious in, in hindsight. Uh, and then, of course, he, he was successful at Fox, but th- that success was premised on ranging himself against the very establishment which to which he belongs right i mean this is the irony it's all these guys who who claim to be men of the people the the one the you know the the, the demagogue who's going to pull back the curtain and show you how the corrupt elites run the country and they're utter hypocrites and you know they only care about amassing great fortunes and they preach this progressive gospel but behind the scenes in private they're every bit as venal and 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 self-interested as you or I really are, but we're honest about it. All these people come from either coast. They come from very wealthy families. I mean, he's the heir to a frozen fish stick fortune. Donald Trump is a real estate baron in New York City, uh, was a liberal for most of his adult life until he reinvented himself as this kind of, you know, tribune to fly over country. But th- there's a there's a tendency here, which is, those who kind of wash out or fail and and have this deep abiding sense of grievance that they 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 desperately want to be accepted by the people they they hate and who hate them back um inevitably they all kind of migrate eastward uh they go to moscow they they pay homage to a new master uh who is all too happy to oblige them to welcome them with open arms um, because they, they do his bidding. Now, I'm not saying that if Tucker Carlson were curious enough to find out what this Russian system consists of and how, you know, the, the idea that it's, it's really founded on principles of religiosity and true small C conservatism and traditional values. I mean, all this is nonsense. You know, Vladimir Putin is building a $2 billion Kublai Khan pleasure dome in the Black Sea with stripper poles and 
I mean, it, it's something out of like a Larry Flint biopic. Uh, traditional values, give me a break. Now, what he's doing is he's using this as a cudgel, uh, or rather as a siren song, right? It, it's it's luring, I would say, intellectually incurious, gullible types who really believe that liberal democracy has failed, principally because it's failed themselves. They they don't they, they don't fit. They don't like the cut of the jib of the United States anymore. They think that you know a bathroom that says we don't care what gender you are, <laughs> just you know just carry on with your business, that this is the sign of decline and fall of Western civilization. So they look to Putin, they look to Viktor Orban, who's kind of a gateway drug to Putin, uh, and they see this as the future. They see this as the kind of country and society they wish to build. But they are held in contempt by the very people that they now claim to idealize. I mean, Putin must be rubbing his hands with glee that a guy like Tucker Carlson is now desperate to to interview Putin. But he, he, what's funny too, and, and this happened just today, Carlson committed a blunder, a classic schoolboy error, which is he posted in his little trailer video saying he's going to interview Putin. Well, no Western journalist has, has even asked to interview Putin. Why is that? This is part of the conspiratorial worldview that, you know, we're all propagandists. We're all, you know, trying to live in our little silos and, and ecosystems of information. Well, no, I mean, every Western journalist has tried to interview Putin. Putin has said no, because he doesn't want to be asked difficult questions. And he, he is reliably assured he's not going to be asked difficult questions by Tucker Carlson. So it was it, Putin's press secretary, Dmitry Peskov, had to issue a correction to Carlson saying, no, 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 everybody wants to interview Putin. It's just we, we have declined many requests because of the tendentious nature of the mainstream media. So in other words, don't come and say that nobody wants to talk to the czar except you. You have to come and say, everyone wants to talk to the czar, but the czar has bestowed only upon me the grand privilege and honor of, of, of being granted an audience with him. And I am, I am deeply humbled and grateful for this service. So right. even as a propagandist, he sucks. He doesn't know the rules of the game. Right. But this whole thing is, you know, it's theater. It's, it's, it's spectacle. Is it going to make a difference in the election? I don't know. I mean, I, I tend to think that the average viewer of Tucker Carlson, and I mean, I lived in a, a very purple, if not um, reddish part of Queens, New York, which was very much kind of glued to Fox News. So I, I know these people. The average view of Tucker Carlson doesn't give a shit, pardon my French, about Twitter. In fact, they probably don't even know how to use the platform. So is this more designed to give Elon Musk a bit of a marketing boom uh, and, you know, drive traffic through clickbait and also hate scrolling, which is frankly what I and everybody else has been doing? Probably more the latter. Um, mm. I don't know. I mean, yeah, there are Republicans who support Trump, by the way, who don't like Putin or Russia. So in, in their mind, they keep two sets of books. You know, oh, yeah, if Ukraine, we should help them. But really, Trump's going to lower my taxes. I'm not really into some of the culture stuff that's happening on the left. You know, Trump would be better on things like Israel and, you know, whatever. They convince themselves that, that he's the more viable alternative to Biden. Hmm. Well, and by the way, Peskov... Putin's spokesman talked about the Anglo-Saxon media. <laughs> I guess Always he could the Anglo-Saxon. <laughs> the Interesting. But just in closing, though, I wanted to bring back the focus on Elon Musk and Peter Thiel, who put yeah. Teddy Vance in the Senate. They are huge contractors, Thiel for the CIA and Elon Musk for the Department of Defense, where there are indications that he's the tail that wags the dog. The idea that he can interfere and scuttle the Ukrainian uh, operation in the Black Sea to help Putin is pretty amazing. And the Pentagon apparently bends over backwards to be nice to him, you know, saying, oh, you can't interview us unless we get permission from Elon. What the hell is going on here? Yeah, look, I mean, you know, uh, the, the, the military-industrial complex is a, a many-splendored thing in this country. And unfortunately, a lot of people who have security clearance and who had made a lot of money by being paid by the U.S. government to create weapon systems and advanced technologies such as Starlink, uh, which, you know, at the start of the war, it's funny because, you know, I, I wrote a piece about this as well. Elon Musk was a hero. You know, his, his stock was diminishing. And this was before um, or right about the time he was taking over Twitter. His stock was declining here. But, you know, the, the two people who were beloved in Ukraine, but nowhere else, including in their home countries, were Boris Johnson and Elon Musk. 
because both Elon Musk had given Starlink for free to the Ukrainians. It kept the Internet going. It helped soldiers coordinate on the battlefield. It made a material difference. And Johnson, of course, because he was very hawkish and, and actually, to his credit, gave a lot of kit very early on to uh, Ukraine. Um, but then all of a sudden, something weird happened. And Elon's like, well, I didn't create Starlink for military purposes. So he, he pulled the plug. And then, yes, the famous or notorious, I should say, anecdote from Walter Isaacson's biography about cutting off Starlink at a time when the Ukrainians probably could have dealt a real hammer blow to the Black Sea Fleet. Um, they're, 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 they've now resorted to death by a thousand cuts, but still, um, that that really turned public opinion in Ukraine against him. And I, I can't I can't neglect to say what happened today, which was um, you know Glenn Greenwald who is close to Tucker Carlson personally, and I think ideologically tweeted something like, well, how many journalists in the West have, have done adversarial interviews with uh, President Zelensky, who, by the way, you know, he's appeared on Newsmax. He, uh, there was a cover story in Time magazine a few weeks ago, which was quite, uh, I mean, it portrayed him in, shall we say, less than Churchillian uh, light by uh, my friend Simon Schuster, who's just written a biography of Zelensky. So, uh, not not quite as clever a tweet by Greenwald as as he might think, and Elon Musk replied right below that. Journalists are too busy. Um, well, I'll, I'll put it in more civilized English: uh, bestowing sexual favors upon uh, Volodymyr Zelensky that they can't talk and do that at the same time. So I'm sure your audience can figure out what he he really tweeted. Sure. So this is a guy who has once said, "I'm super pro Ukraine," but he cuts off Starlink and then he makes cracks like that which is very consistent with this sort of far-right view that Zelensky, not Putin, is the real dictator. You know, the guy who's arresting his political opponents and cracking down on churches. And, you know, I mean, hmm. all of these things I'm intimately well acquainted with because I, I actually go to Ukraine and, and report on what's happening there as opposed to read it on social media. But, you know, it is interesting that in, in their kind of perfervid imagination, Ukraine is the aggressive country, the real totalitarian dictatorship, and Putin is this poor, you know, martyr, vilified, and turned into a cartoon figure by the West. I mean, needless to say, most journalists in Russia who would love nothing better than to interview Putin had to flee Russia for fear of arrest or worse. And I should know that because I work for a magazine that was founded by such journalists, The Insider. Sure. Yeah. Well, Michael, we've run out of time, but I really appreciate you joining us here today. Sure, anytime. Thanks a lot. Okay, take care. You too. And again, I've been speaking with Michael Weiss, who's the editor at The Insider, a Russian-focused independent media outlet who has reported on international affairs for over 10 years with a focus on the Middle East and Russia. He's interviewed ISIS operatives and Russian spies, published and curated a series of still-classified KGB training manuals, reported from rebel hell Syria and war-torn Ukraine, broken major stories about financial corruption, and exposed the Russian intelligence service's ongoing subversion efforts in the United States and Europe. And he's the co-host of the Foreign Office podcast at New Lines magazine, as well as the author of The Menace of Unreality, How Russia Weaponizes Information Cold and money, and is the co-author of the New York Times bestseller, ISIS, Inside the Army of Terror. This has been Background Briefing. I'm Ian Masters, and I'd like to thank producer Graham Fitzgibbon and assistant producer Evan Green to help us sustain this program into the future and ensure it remains free to all. Please take a moment to support us by going to backgroundbriefing.org slash donate or publictruthmedia.org where you will find our non-profit Public Truth Media Foundation, where your tax-deductible donations, large and small, keep us broadcasting. And if you've missed any of today's programs or would like to explore our vast archives, you can find us at backgroundbriefing.org, where we include extended interviews searchable by topic and have made it easy for you to sign up for daily email updates that provide links to resources, articles, and books discussed on the program. Also, you can find links there to subscribe wherever you get your podcast, and we encourage your ratings and reviews on these platforms. Find us on Twitter and Facebook at Ian Masters Media, and please do help us reach more listeners by sharing this program with friends, family, and colleagues. And I'll be back again tomorrow with another background briefing. Bye for now. Disappeared by hell.